What's up, y'all, and welcome into the Jack Vita Show. I am your host, as always, Jack Vita. We've had a busy week on the podcast. By the time you're listening to this, by the way, we're recording this on St. Patty's Day. It's March 17th, 2021, and we are previewing the National League East. But you're not hearing this episode for another week because we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, getting ahead of schedule because there's a lot going on with college basketball. By the time you're listening to this, we've already played through the round of 32. I have no idea what kind of upsets and shockers uh, we've endured, but I'm excited for uh, watching it, and you guys are all listening to this as a time capsule podcast. Nevertheless, I will have a lot coming out this weekend as I talk about the Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight. I'll be recapping both rounds. I still got another preview to release at the time of this recording. I'll have the AL Central coming out finally. Uh, But today we're talking NL East, and Once again, we have all that content coming out. Make sure you subscribe to the show so you don't miss out on any of that. Leave a five-star rating and review. We appreciate it. And we have a lot to get to today with the National League East. I have two awesome guests. One of them is still tied up at work right now. It's Jordan Morandini will be popping in probably in about 15 minutes or so. Uh, But Albert Destrade is back with us once again. Uh, Former Survivor loser college baseball player, and host of the It's Not Polite to Ask podcast. Albert, how are you doing? Doing fantastic, Jack. I'm excited. We're talking baseball. It's March. This is, to me, the best time of the year right here. Yeah, it's. I think it's the stretch. It starts around mid-February or so, and then it goes up through Labor Day. That's my favorite time of the year. I agree. Yeah, just moving into summertime. Days are longer. Now, you're down in Florida, and it's always nice down there. Now, the weather's turning up. It's uh, Springtime is in the air, man, and I'm pumped up. So let's break down this division, which uh, should be a lot of fun. Also had a fun time with Albert uh, over the week. We both were in Tampa. Uh, got some dinner. That was a fun time, Albert. It was good catching up with you in person, Jack. We've done a couple of these podcasts now, but it was good uh, meeting up with you here in uh, my beautiful state of Florida. Oh, yeah. Great state. Great state. And I think the best place to start with the National League East, first of all, best division in baseball, right? Oh, without a question, it's going to be the most competitive, I believe. We'll start with this team in your state, the Florida, well, I (laughs) call them the Florida Marlins, Miami Marlins, last year surprised a lot of people, 31-29. and (laughs) A season before that, they won 57 games. They made the playoffs, won a playoff series, beat the Cubs in two straight games in that weird two out of three wild card round that they had this year. I have a Marlins fan, Mike Picardi. Mike Picardi, he runs one of the biggest Marlins Facebook fan groups, and he sent me in a voicemail with his two-minute preview on the Miami Marlins. So take a listen to this. So it's hard to have a conversation about the Marlins and not begin with their starting pitching. Uh, Guys like Sandy Alcantara, Pablo Lopez, Sixto Sanchez, of course everyone knows him, Uh, Trevor Rogers, Eliezer Hernandez, all guys who in one form or another had breakout years last year. Um, and honestly, even with all the buzz that Sixto gets, he's at this time he's their third best starting pitcher, in my opinion. Uh, I think one through five, they're easily the deepest rotation in, in the division. Um, definitely one of the most talented. And honestly, they could go eight deep with viable major league caliber starting pitching. 
Um, their bullpen was a sore spot for them last year. I think they did a pretty good job of picking up some solid veterans to kind of fill those holes. Uh, they traded with the Dodgers for Dylan Floro. They picked up Anthony Bass in free agency, who will likely be their closer in the upcoming season. Um, the question with the Marlins is always, will they hit enough? Uh, and I think that's still a valid question going into this season. But, um, you know, the pickup of Adam Duvall adding some power to the middle of that lineup was pretty big for them. Um, guys like Garrett Cooper staying healthy for a full season will be big. Um, a guy like Brian Anderson taking another step forward will be important. Um, Starling Marte having a full season of him will be huge. They picked him up midseason last year. Um, it's, it's not a star-studded or power-filled lineup, but I, I think if they're able to generate enough runs with that starting pitching and the improved bullpen, I, I don't really see them as less than a 75-win team this year. Um, I'd be pretty surprised if they came up too short of that. Um, I'm not sure where that'll place them in the division. It's a really strong division, but with that starting rotation, I really don't think they're a team that anyone wants to face in 2021. All right, great job, Mike. What do you think about that, Albert? Wow, that was uh, that was pretty accurate. I think he made a, hit on some really key points. The strength of this Marlin team was really the starting pitching man. That starting pitching last year, I got to see him uh, pretty regularly. Being uh, that I followed the division closely to play a lot of games against my Braves, we had a playoff series against them. Um, their starting pitching is real. They got power arms. They have guys who know how to pitch. Uh, Sandy at the top is. I mean, the guys the guys developed himself into a into a legitimate major league base, major league front starter. Um, Sixto Sanchez, I agree, is really heralded, and his stuff is just just lights out. Um, Pablo, to me, Pablo Lopez is somebody who the guy can really really pitch. I mean, he's he's got good stuff, but he understands how to spin it, how to change eye levels, how to change speeds. Um, their starting pitching is their calling card. Um, I agree with Mike and the call in. There are some question marks in the offense, but, you know, you got to look at what that, that organization has done uh, in the last four or five years from the end of the David Sampson era into the Derek Jeter era and how they've kind of flipped that roster. A lot of people here in South Florida are up in arms when they traded, you know, the, the reigning MVP, Giancarlo Stanton. They traded Christian Yelich, JT Real Muto. All these guys were unloaded, and everyone said, well, what, what are we getting in return? What are we getting back? And, you know, the first deal, the Stanton deal, I thought was probably the lightest return at the time, and it looks like it has been. But you're starting to see some of those players from the other deals starting to, you know, come into their own. Uh, we met, I just mentioned Sixto Sanchez. He was a, he was a, a key piece in the Real Muto deal. Um, they got a second baseman by the name of Lewin Diaz, who's a left-handed stick, who I think is really going to be a pretty big cog for them. He came back in the Christian Yelich deal. Uh, along with Monty Harrison and Lewis Brinson. Um, they have some young bats. You know, Jazz Chisholm is a really interesting young player with some upside. Um, they just need the combination of youth and of that journeyman-level hitter that they have in the Ag- in the Jesus Aguilar um, and Adam Duvall, who they picked up who had a big year uh, last year for the Braves as a power-hitting corner outfielder, um, guys like Corey Dickerson. They need those veteran guys to kind of repeat some elite performances and they need some young guys to come up and kind of step up a little bit. So um, they're an intriguing team. They're a very, very intriguing team that could be either, you know, average 
above average or below average, depending on, you know, how some of these pieces click. So they're, they're one of the most, I would call them, I would deem them one of the biggest wild cards in that division, if not the biggest wild card. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think that I don't know if I would agree with Mike. You might not agree on deepest rotation in the division. I think I'd go Braves on that. Yeah, the Braves are definitely a little bit deeper um, just because, you know, they go they go five strong. I'm sure we'll cover them in depth. And their six and seven guy, if you're looking at like a guy like Kyle Wright or Bryce Wilson, um, they've learned from Alex Anthopoulos. Alex Anthopoulos learned from um, just kind of what happened last year where they kind of just ran out of starting pitching. They had to start um, A.J. Minter in a play, in a NLCS game just because they <laughs> didn't have another body, and it was his first professional start. So they don't want to be in that position again, and they, they definitely restocked the cupboard pretty, uh, pretty heavily. Yeah, so – I like the Marlins. I think they're on the right track. I think maybe next, I think last year they may have arrived a little bit ahead of schedule. If it was an eight team playoff, if it was not, I should say, I don't, they're definitely not a playoff team last year. And it was only 60 games. And, it, you know, you, you could take, you could say that about any squad from last year. Six games, weird scheduling, only playing in the East. To their credit, they played well in the East. They also had that COVID situation. They bounced back from that, had to play a lot of games in a shorter stretch of time, were able to get all 60 games in, come out above 500. Credit to Don Mattingly and what the Marlins have done. I think that they're probably a year, maybe two years away from legitimately moving in this division. I expect them to be the fifth place team in the NL East this year. Yeah, I could, I could definitely see that, and I don't think that that's an indictment on them. I think they, you know, when they started this um, process of rebuilding, um, I don't think they were expected to be in contention for a playoff seed last year, right? So I think they've kind of arrived early, and they've kind of made a little bit of a quicker turnaround than most people gave them credit for. Um do I expect them to come out and win the division this year? Probably not. But would I be shocked if they did? Not really, because they they they're a competitive bunch, and I think you know with that Derek Jeter mentality of we're going to push a little bit to win. If they if they come off and if they come out and let's say in the first half of the season, Jack, they're in the top, they're battling neck and neck in the top two spots in that division. I wouldn't be surprised if Jeter makes a splash like he did last year, adding a Starling Marte down the stretch you know, a veteran offensive presence to bring some stability to the lineup. Because that's really, I think, to me, is the biggest chink in their armor. I just don't think they have enough offense to compete that, uh, to compete with some of the bigger uh, offensive clubs in that division. So their pitching is going to really have to do a lot. And I agree that their bullpen is still a little bit suspect. Those, to me, are their biggest kind of weaknesses going into 2021. Yeah, I have to agree with you on all of those points, Albert. And this... They kind of remind me right now of the Marlins of 15 years ago when they had Scott Olson and Josh Johnson and Dan Ugla and all those real young guys. Wow, that's interesting. That's actually a really good comparison. They had some guys that were, um, you know, some arms that, uh, you know, a lot of people thought Josh Johnson was going to be the next big thing. And unfortunately, his career was derailed a little bit due to uh, just persistent injuries. But they, uh, you know, they're, they're the Marlins. I expected them last year, to be honest with you, to be very, very um, just far away from the rest of the teams. And they, they surprised me. So going into this year, I'm not going to count them out, but uh, I'm curious to see how they're going to react. Albert, 70 and a half. That's what DraftKings has them at. Are you going above or below? I'm going to take above 70 and a half. Um, I think that 
there's going to be a very bunched-up group of teams in that division. It's going to be a dogfight. Um, I'm going to take the over on 70-and-a-half for the Miami Marlins. All right. We are going to move along here. Before we do that, we need to bring in Jordan Morandini. So, Albert, this is Jordan Morandini. Hey, hey what's Al- going on? How's it going, man? Doing all right. Doing all right, brother. Jordan Albert was on Survivor. Oh, really? <laughs> There's the connection. I was wondering how <laughs> how Jack found you. <laughs> I was a survivor huge, guy. I was a survivor. Yeah, he's a huge survivor guy. Makes a lot of sense. <laughs> plus, plus, we both have some ties here to the uh, the old uh, early '90s National League here. Uh, my, my uncle Restus and uh, and your your pops Mickey, I think, played some games together. Oh, really? Yep, yep, yep. That makes sense. Yep. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Do you remember his uncle? He used to be on Baseball Tonight, and uh, he's he's the Rays color guy. Who is it? Sorry. Uh, Restus, his name is Arrestus Destrade. Okay, um, no, I don't first baseman for the Marlins in ninety. Yeah, he was first baseman uh, for the Marlins in ninety three, and then yeah, he does. Uh, he was on Baseball Night for years, and now he's on Fox Sports. So, uh, but yeah, uh, a ninety three season. It, it's your dad, right? Mickey Morandini is your dad. Yeah. Yep. 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 Yeah. Yeah. So he was uh, your dad and my uncle were. Uh, yeah, they were. They were. Con- they were contemporaries back back in the day. <laughs> Fire! <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Jordan, I was watching on the Cubs TV network. They had the last game from 1997 season last night against the Phillies. Uh-huh. I flipped it on. Your dad recorded the last out. It was his last uh, game with the Phillies. Oh, really? 97. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if he, I don't want to bring that up to him. <laughs> that, that, yeah. that game was on. <laughs> That's funny, though. All right. So, Jordan, we just wrapped up discussing. The Marlins, do you have any brief thoughts on the Marlins this year? Over, under 70 and a half wins. 70 and a half? Um, look, I think they have a lot of young talent, uh, specifically on that rotation. They have a lot of good young arms. Um, but 70 and a half in a division in which I think for the most part is going to be pretty good. It's a pretty good number. I think I'd go with slightly under 68-ish, Jack. Oh, okay. I'm going to say 70... 74 wins. I don't think this is a bad team. I think they could get up to 500, depending on how some of those other teams in the division perform, how good they are. So we'll move along to some of them, and we'll go to the next highest win total projected from DraftKings, 80 and a half. Who do you think this team is, Jordan? Well, given the fact that you're leading to me, Jack, I'm going to go ahead and take a guess that it's the Phillies. <laughs> <laughs> That's correct. Yes. 80 and a half for the Phillies. Now, before we get into uh, your guys' predictions, I also have a voicemail. Jordan, we just played a voicemail from a Marlins fan that I was able to get. I got one from a Phillies fan. So let me dig that up real quick. And this is his Phillies preview. His name is Matt Cardoni. Sounds like a real Philly guy, doesn't he? Yeah, that sounds about <laughs> right. <laughs> he Matt is uh, similar to Mike Picardi, who just sent us the last voicemail. Matt runs one of the biggest Phillies Facebook groups on on Facebook, of course. All right, so this is Matt Cardoni. 2021 looks to be a transitional year for the Phillies, but what I think is going to happen is that the Phillies are going to shock a lot of people and either compete for first place in the NL East or win first place in the NL East. I know the Mets have made some pretty good signings. The Braves are always strong. 
but the Phillies have improved in all the areas where they had their significant issues last year. The Phillies had to have at least lost 20 to 25 wins just from the bullpen performance alone. So when I'm looking at the signings in the offseason of Jose Alvarado, Archie Bradley, uh, Chase Anderson could potentially be a guy in the bullpen if he doesn't slot out as a starter. These additions all look to bolster the Phillies' bullpen and hopefully for the Phillies fans and the Phillies faithful, send them to the playoffs and competing for that National League pennant. We have we also were able to bring back JT Remuto, uh, sign Matt Moore, and as I mentioned before, Chase Anderson. And with another year under the belt of Spencer Howard and, and Alec Bohm, I think the future looks bright and the Phillies should at least be in contention for the NL East, if not for the National League overall. They might not have the big guns to compete with the Dodgers or the other top-tier teams in the National League, but you, I would not be surprised in the least to see the Phillies competing for a National League East title. Jordan, I lied. That was actually Jake Poliga calling into the show. It, I was about to say... <laughs> It sounded like it. <laughs> no, it wasn't actually Jake. Great job by Matt Cardoni. Great job, Matt. What do you think, Jordan? Are you as optimistic as he is? Um, look, heading into this season, not nearly as optimistic uh, as he was there, but I am optimistic about a couple things, Jack. One, he touched on the bullpen and the bullpen additions. This was one of the worst bullpens in MLB history a year ago. It can't get worse. So a couple of the guys that they added there are going to help improve that. Along with that, too, um, he touched on the two starters in Matt Moore and Chase Anderson that they added. Um, that pushes Spencer Howard, who they want to keep on an innings limit, potentially into the pen in the early season. He's a really good power arm, throws 97, has good off-speed stuff. And long-term, he projects as a starter. But due to the inning limit that he may be on, they may move him to the pen to start the year. And that also moves Vince Velasquez, who uh, really has been a Philly for what feels like about 15 years now. Um, but that, <laughs> push, <laughs> that pushes him to the pen as well. And that's just another power arm you can kind of mix in there. So those four, you're going to have two of them starting and then two in the pen. I think that alone kind of upgrades it and the couple guys that he touched on. Um, to me, Jack, really the key to this team this season is some of these core guys who have come up through the Phillies system they need to start playing like the players that they need to be. Uh, Reese Hoskins, Scott Kingery, and really it, heading into this year, it's going to come down to Alec Bohm. Those, to me, are three extremely key pieces. And if the Phillies want to compete at the level that he was talking about on that recording, all three of those guys are going to have to have fantastic years, in my opinion. Um, another, The only other thing really to look out for is kind of the center field battle heading into the year. Adam Hazley, who was projected to at least probably be the starter there um, to begin the year, he has had an injury throughout the spring, and an old friend, Odubel Herrera, has put together a nice <laughs> spring. Um, so there is a – at this point, it's looking like a good chance that he may be the opening day center fielder. And Mickey Moniak, a former top pick, has also had a really nice spring for the Phils. So he's another guy to look out for there. Um, but as a whole, I think heading into this year, I'm pretty confident. I think this team is going to be better than they were last year. And along with that, too, I think this is the year where you kind of see the impact of a Joe Girardi versus obviously the year uh, ago where the season's cut short and you don't have as much time to develop into that locker room. And where do you think Kingery plays? Because... 
I'm looking at their depth chart. They've got Segura. They brought back Didi once again. They got yep. Baum potentially playing third base. Mm-hmm. Kingery can fill in really wherever. Do you, do you have a specific position you think he'll be playing potentially most days this year? Yeah, I don't think he's going to be an everyday player, Jack, actually. I think he's okay. going to be more of a kind of a fill-in guy. I would imagine he'll get some starts at second base. That's his natural position. And I think center field is probably going to be that other option. Um, you're seeing some guys in that set, like Roman Quinn, who was a potential option for them at center field. He hasn't had a good spring. He's kind of tailing off. The only problem is, too, Kingery hasn't had a good spring. And, you know, maybe if he comes in and has a really good spring, maybe he's fighting to start every day in center field this year. He hasn't. So I would look to him as more like a utility guy and almost a fill-in there at second and center. I think those are the two spots. What's your read on this team, Albert? You know, I was uh, kind of echoing what I gave you a little bit earlier on the Marlins. I found myself on the wrong side of prediction for them last year, and the uh, same goes for the Philadelphia Phillies. I this team in 2020 was going to be the cream of the division. They were legitimately scary offensively to me. I knew they had question marks um, pitching, but, um, you know, to – to, to your guys' point, no one really expected that bullpen to be so bad that it was historically bad. Um, and I think they've made some really intelligent moves uh, moving forward. Man, I really like – I was shocked at how inexpensively they were able to acquire Archie Bradley, who you know kind of got lost last year after he got traded to the Reds. Um, the Reds kind of – I was a little surprised with his usage. Um, Alvarado that they got from Tampa Bay has – an elite electric, uh, you know, just stuff that's like off the charts. Yeah. Um, so I think, I think, I think help is on the way for that bullpen. And if they are able to manage guys from that rotation and move into the bullpen, I always thought Vince Velasquez's, uh, profile was just suited better to be a bullpen guy. I think he's, he seems like he's a high effort guy with power stuff who can come out one inning and look, I don't want to come out one inning and look, very, very erratic. So I think if he can, I think a shift to the bullpen with him might be just what the doctor ordered. Um, Spencer Howard and some of those other guys, I'm not sure what their usage is going to be. If I look at their rotation, I think a lot of it's going to depend on Nola being the Aaron Nola of 2019, uh, which I think he can be. I've always been very, very impressed with him. I think he's a legitimate ace. Uh, Wheeler, the issue with always him is always health. Can he stay healthy throughout the course of what's you know, again, going to be a full 162-game marathon. Um, and then guys like Matt Moore, to me, are really interesting. Matt Moore went over to Japan. Um, he had issues with his velocity, man. I, I think we can all remember when Matt Moore first came up with a raise. We're like, yeah. oh, here it is, another one of these Tampa Bay Rays <laughs> super arms who's going to be, you know, dominant. And he kind of, his career kind of got off track when he ended up in San Francisco and had to go to Japan. But uh, you know, I read a report that he's, his velocity is back up into the mid-90s. He's touching 95. He sounds healthy. So, um, you know, if you get a, a contribution from a guy like him and, um, you know, Spencer Howard, I've always I've been very impressed with him. He sounds like he's going to be the real deal. If I'm, I'm, if I'm not mistaken, he made his debut last year uh, early into the season against the Braves. I remember thinking that, uh, that he was going to be a pretty good little piece for them. So the pitching for, the, for me is what's important because that's what's going to, you know, really make it or break it. I, I think their lineup is legitimate. I think their lineup is real. I think they have a bunch of guys who are still in that in in the um, of their prime. I mean, most of their key hitters are with basically between age 27 and 31, um, which is kind of where I think uh, 
you know, that that's their strength is going to be that offense. You know, I think Reese Hoskins is going to be better. Um, from what I've seen from Bryce Harper, it looks like he's made some mechanical changes at the plate. He looks a little bit more upright to me. Um, he looks like he's going to – I just based on watching him swing the bat this spring, I think he's going to hit for some serious power this year. I think when he, when he made the jump to Philadelphia, I always thought him in that ballpark could equate video game numbers, and we haven't seen it yet. He's been good, but he hasn't been great. And I think that he might, that chip on his shoulder might grow to the point where this year he might come out and kick slot. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he, if he puts together some really, really big power numbers this year. And I, I just like flexibility. I, you know, you guys mentioned Scott Kingery. I think he's a guy who fits well within the composition of that roster. You look at Andrew McCutcheon coming back, you know, you know, seemingly healthy, but he's 34 years old. Didier Goris is, you know, going to be asked to play shortstop at 31. Gene Zagura's 31. So I think Kiri does a good, uh, is a good piece for them to kind of spell some of these early to mid 30s veterans. Give, you know, Segura a day, give um, Kutch a day, give Gregorius a day, and just allow them to keep everyone fresh. You know, uh, in the past, I think the Phillies haven't been a very deep team. They've had like eight quality hitters and then they just kind of those have been their horses so somebody like that who gives them a little bit of depth could help them because um you know unfortunately you, you, in a 162 game season you need you need more guys so um I, this team to me is i think is i'm gonna i'm gonna double down on them and say that i actually think they're gonna be in the contention to to win the division um i, I see some big things in their in their near future honestly yeah, I mean, I agree with pretty much everything you said. To me, the, the the two big question marks are those young guys I talked about in that first segment there. I mean, Hoskins has had some solid MLB seasons, but he's never really fully put it together. He's shown power. He's shown the ability to get on base, but he hasn't really shown he can hit for average. Kingery really hasn't proven he can be a major league hitter consistently. Um, and then Bohm, you know, Bohm has the great rookie year, but it's the short season. So can he put together a really, really nice, you know, true rookie campaign here with a, a full season incoming? And then kind of what you mentioned, I, I think the starting pitching to me is the other big question. To me, I think on a true contender, Nola would probably be more of a high end too. That's just my opinion. Um, He's put together some really, really nice years, and he had the West third and Cy Young voting. Um, but there has been some big inconsistencies, and sometimes down the stretch here, where in these second halves, Nola kind of wears down and doesn't have good starts when it matters most. Um, so that's something to look out for. And then my big question, too, is Eflin has really, kind of like Wheeler, he struggled to stay healthy to an extent. He's already banged up in the spring with a back issue. Um, and then you have these four and five slots that I talked about. Can you find, you know, consistent starts out of two of those four guys? Um, long-term, I think Spencer Howard's the answer there, but I don't think they're going to use him like that this year. So can you get consistent starts out of a Matt Moore? Can you get consistent starts out of a Chase Anderson? Those are the big question marks for me, Jack. Um, but I, I do think this is a better team as a whole uh, than a year ago. And I, I think the depth that was talked about there is definitely true. I think offensively, you have some depth where if you have to miss somebody for an extended period of time, you can toss in a guy like a Kingry, um, like a Roman Quinn in an outfield slot, something along those lines to be able to fill those holes. Yeah, I think that going back, you guys touched on so many different things. I'll give you some highlights here. Bryce Harper, I think, is bound to have a type of year. So just taking a look back at Bryce Harper, 
he had the MVP career year in 2015, where he batted 330, 460 OBP, 42 homers, 100 RBIs, was outstanding. It was it was an, he was incredible that year. We haven't seen that at any other point in his career, but we did see a version that was maybe 85% of that. And that was 2017 where he was playing great before he had the knee injury. And he ended up that season. He hit 319, 29 homers, uh, good OBP OPS over a thousand. I think that that Bryce Harper, I don't know if we're ever going to see 2015 Bryce Harper, but I think we're going to see 2017 Bryce Harper at some point. It's just, it's bound to happen in this ballpark. Last year, he was doing pretty well. He slumped at the very end of that season. Once again, 60 game season, you, you're just barely getting your feet wet with that. It, I don't put too much stock into that. He was okay in 2019. If you can get Bryce in terms of that 2017 all-star, uh, superstar caliber Bryce Harper, that is really going to unlock a lot of things for this offense. I don't love the pitching rotation. Uh, definitely some question marks there that they're going to have to sort out. Maybe they pick up an arm or two if they're in contention and they need to. I like what they did with the bullpen. And low-key, you know, I think about the Phillies, and part of it is Jordan talking to you and Jake and Connor and Griffin, and you guys love the Phillies. And over the last few years, you guys have been so optimistic, and the Phillies have disappointed. Based on if we talk about a team that's disappointed, I think you're talking about 70 wins, 75 wins. The Phillies have been a 500 team the last three years. Last year, 29 and 31, knocking on the door of the extended postseason, just uh, choked down the stretch that season. They were 81 and 81 in 2019. I believe they won 80 games in 2018. So if that's their floor and they can unlock something with Girardi and upping their pitching staff, maybe getting more from these guys offensively, McCutcheon blew out his knee two years ago. I think that this floor for this team is pretty high. I think if you can get a couple of things to break their way, this is 100% a team that can win the division. Yeah, and I think they're, they're going a little bit under the radar, Jack, this year as a whole yeah. compared to the last two. Um, I know you know we had these same conversations for the past two years heading into the years, and, <laughs> and the Phillies were kind of neck and neck with the Braves. I think me and you were kind of going back and forth on you know which one to go yeah. with. Now you know we're talking about the over-unders. They're the fourth in this division. And you're looking at a team that, like you mentioned, was, what, four games under 500 last year, 28 and 32 or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah. that's and right. The bullpen's better. Like, like we touched on, the bullpen was horrible a year ago. Horrible yeah. a year ago. Can't get worse. Um, so the bullpen's upgraded. You re-sign the two big guys in Real Muto and Didi, who are obviously key parts in the middle of this order. I mean, Bryce has great protection in this order. It, it really, all through, you have Hoskins, who will probably hit ahead of him, who has a a 400 OBP, and then you're able to protect him with the real Muto and Bohm types behind him. He has great protection in the order. I'm, I'm completely with you guys. I do think Bryce is due for a really, really big season. Um, and as a whole, I just think this team's going a little bit underlooked heading in. I don't think – I would not have them personally finishing fourth in this division. I'm going to – I'm actually going to pick them as my second team in this division. I think the Phillies get the second wild card spot behind the Padres – and so they're at 80 and a half. I think the question is, how many wins do you need to get the second wild card? 
this could be an... I'll, I'll go 89 wins. I think 89 wins can get it done because I think this division can eat itself and then you take a look at what you have in the other divisions past the Dodgers and the Padres in the NL West. It's not terrific. The NL Central is going to have a lot of low win totals. Uh, what do you think, Albert? Yeah, I think uh, I, I think fourth is definitely too low for this team. I'm with you, Jack. I, I, I actually like them as a number two or three region and um you gotta you gotta you gotta think of it from the standpoint like you know the there's certain names and certain figures in baseball that have kind of eclipsed bryce harper you know when you look at fernando tatis jr and juan soto and all these newer sexier players but listen the phillies roster has two guys who are very very capable of being the one one meaning the overall consensus best players at their position in bryce harper and jt real muto these are two guys that when they're playing at their best capabilities are elite level talents who are head and shoulders better than everyone else. And what do they complement those guys with a bunch of above average players? They don't have guys who are, well, let's see what this guy's going to do. Like the Marlins have, or even the Braves have in some play positions, everybody in their one through eight everyday lineup is an established major league player. In my opinion, uh, uh, you know, uh, with the exception of, you know, there's a little bit uncertainty in center, but, you know, seven out of their eight everyday positions are, to me, significantly above average major league players. I think Reese Hoskins is somebody that kind of been maligned, too. But I think, you know, if you look at his on-base stats, the guy's an on-base machine with legitimate power. He had a, he had a strange um, kind of lack of power at the beginning of 2020. But he's another guy who I think is very, very capable of putting up 35 home runs with a 380 on base. And, you know, next thing you know, you're like, dude, this lineup is scary. So I think the Phillies, man, are very, very much capable. I like, I like the, you know, I think 87, 88 wins is very, very realistic for this club and their team. I think anybody is going to be taken lightly. Are you feeling better about them, Jordan? Are, are, are you pleased to hear some people high on the Phillies? <laughs> I am Jack. I really am. Uh, I'm actually in terms of kind of where I have them landing this year, right around where you Jack, I actually have them in my second NL slot as well. Wild card wise. I like them to be the second best team in this division. Um, and I'm sure we'll touch on the other two yeah. after this. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think it kind of all comes together uh, for that a little bit this year. I think you see a much better bullpen. And I think this lineup is going to be one of the NL's best. And I think that's good enough to get to, you know, 88, 89 wins. And I think that's what it's going to take for that second slot. Good job, Jordan. Jordan's coming in here without warming up. He didn't get the bullpen <laughs> session like Albert and I did. No worries. That's <laughs> it. He's show and go. He's doing a good, the good old show and go. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The next one at 84 and a half, the Washington Nationals team won the World Series a couple years ago. Unfortunately, I was not able to get a submission from a Nationals fan. I tried, and um, that's the only that's the only team in this division. We got some good uh, crowd participation for this division. We got voicemails, and I got an email for the for another team. But Washington Nationals did not; they weren't quiet this winter. They went out and they got Josh Bell, who is a great player. They also picked up John Lester. John Lester actually just had thyroid surgery. Did you know that, Jordan? I did not, no. Yeah, so John Lester, this is a different situation than mine. Apparently, he had hyperparathyroidism, and what I had was hyperthyroidism. 
and the so I, I guess I I can't be I don't really know how that differs, but they're the parathyroid glands, which are smaller. They're not so he only needed to get one parathyroid gland. Um, I had the whole thyroid taken out. Nevertheless, he said it was a minor surgery. The surgery is in your neck. He definitely, while he didn't have the same exact procedure as I did, he did have, they go into your neck, there's an incision in your neck, and that took me about two months before I started exercising. That's the same, he got it right in the same spot while he didn't take out the same gland. He was uh, under the knife in the same location. So... I would think John Lester, you probably won't see him for about two months. I think it was about six weeks I started. Ex- I was able to start exercising. You you have a lot of neck pain there. Um, so I, I felt like I could weigh in on his uh, medical diagnosis, which I normally can't do. First hand. <laughs> First hand. First hand right there. <laughs> but they add Lester as their fourth starter behind Corbin, Strasburg, and Scherzer. Great one, two, three to have. They were not very good last year, but again, short season. They picked up Josh Harrison. They picked up Kyle Schwarber. What do you think of this Nationals team, Albert? Yeah, the Nationals are a really interesting team. I think that uh, they, going into that, after following their, their magical run in 2019, um, I, I just saw the writing on the wall after they let, you know, it's tough when you let Bryce Harper walk and Anthony Rendon walk in subsequent off seasons yeah. and have a, a starting pitching staff that's logged, you know, at this point, a lot of innings. They've, they've taken a lot, they've been taxed heavily and they, they really, you know, put a lot of pressure on those guys in that 2019 playoff run where they were basically using a combination of three or four guys to get them through series after series. Um, you know, I, I actually am a little bit lower on the Nationals this year. I think they're going to be a really bad defensive club with Kyle Schwarber and Josh Bell and Ryan Zimmerman and a lot of older bodies that aren't as um, protected without the DH in the National League this year. Um, I think their pitching is still obviously legitimate. They have big names, but these big names aren't as young as they used to be. I mean, Max Scherzer and Steven Strasburg, and these guys are coming into what I think is kind of the tail end of their primes. So, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how that, how that team responds. Um, I still think they have some exciting pieces. I think they have the best hitter in baseball. And I can say that even though Mike Strout, Mike Trout still plays baseball. I think Juan Soto is the best offensive player that our game has today. I, uh, he's to me is how, like, if you could design a hitter in a lab, it would be Juan Soto to me. His approach is he just understands the strike zone, has power to all fields, hits lefties, hits righties just does everything right. Um, so it's just a matter of putting, you know, getting enough around him. Um, Kyle Schwarber is a very, um, you know, castle outhouse type guy where he could come out and have a good year or he can come out and hit 174. So um, Michelle, after a monster 2019, took a big step backwards in 2020. Um, a couple of their prospects who they had a lot of um, high hopes for haven't really penned out huge. You know, Carter Keyboom has still kind of been suspect um, for them. He was expected to be a, a big piece of Victor Robles, who was kind of an all-can't-miss prospect, has been a good player, but not um, anything that's, you know, 
been kind of the game changer he's been expected to. So I think this is a team that's that's slightly flawed and a little bit older. Um, so it, there's a lot of it's an in, there's going to be a lot of interesting decision points for Mike Rizzo and how he handles that the, you know, all the veteran money they have on the books and especially competing in a division like the National League East, which is going to be extremely difficult. Yeah, this to me feels like a team that, in terms of high-end players, probably has as many as any in this division. If you're looking at Juan Soto, Scherzer, Strasburg, I put Trey Turner in that category yeah. too when he's when he's healthy. Um, so they have some serious, serious high high-end players. But to me, apart from that, it's just a lot of question marks. I mean, at this point, yeah, who is Josh Bell as a player? Because a year ago, he's 226, uh, and it's hard to really judge on that. But his power numbers are as skewed as any hitters I've seen. And, like, it makes no sense to me. He hits 26 homers in 17, then goes to 12 in 87 and 19. It's like, it, are you getting an elite power guy? Well, hey, Jordan, what did, what did 2017 and 2019 have in common that 2018 didn't have? League-wide. Uh, you put me on the spot, Jack. <laughs> Baseballs that were exploding out of parks. You think that's true? Back in 2017? 2017, it was. It went way up. 2018, it came back down. Then 2019, it surpassed 17, and people were like, you can't lie to us. We know what you're doing here. <laughs> so is Josh Bell yeah. a system power hitter in that aspect? <laughs> Does he need the balls to be an elite pot? I don't know. He's just such a question mark for me. And really, uh, uh, Albert, you touched on a couple of the process. Key boom to me and Robles, who I, specifically Robles, I think can be a great player in this league. It's just a matter of whether he kind of all puts it together. He had a really bad year a year ago. And Keyboom really hasn't shown anything at the major league level. Don't like their staff at all behind the top three guys. Lester, I didn't even understand that signing to begin with. I don't think he has much left in the tank. And then the injury kind of pushes that even farther back. Who is their five? It has Joe Ross labeled as their fifth starter. Um, he's never really been even serviceable at the MLB level. Uh, it's Ouch. just a matter of... What'd you say? Sorry. I just said, ouch. <laughs> well, just in, in ter- I guess as a five, maybe, but, you know, his career ERA is, uh, I got to search for it, four, three. In his last three years, he's been over five. It's it's just a matter of, Yikes. I, I just don't like their pitching behind those top three guys. And I don't love their lineup either behind kind of the top two, three guys, too. Just a lot of question marks in this lineup, uh, and Albert touched on it to an extent too. It's a lot of guys, you know, really beyond Soto and the two prospects, some older guys. I didn't love the Schwarber signing. I think he only makes sense really as a DH. And even then, you know, you're getting an elite power guy, but you're getting such a low average. Um, it's just a. I didn't love the signing in an NL, NL uh, situation. So, as a whole, I think the Nationals. You know, they have that upside. You know, Soto can put together an MVP season and maybe your top three starters put together really, really good years. Um, but I don't think all four of those things happen, and I think all four of those things have to happen um, for this team to kind of have a chance. Yeah, I don't love their bullpen, and I'll go back to Josh Bell. I do like Josh Bell. I, 
I think that I guess I'll 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 say it right here and hopefully you guys don't burn me, but I'll I'll take Josh Bell in our fantasy baseball draft next weekend. <laughs> <laughs> I like Josh Bell. I, I I like the Josh Bell pickup, but yeah, for the most part, I really think that their success could really hinge on, as Albert touched on, what do you get at Key Boom and Robles? And Key Boom is very interesting to me. We don't really know what he is, and it, he's similar to what we'll talk about with the Braves with Austin Riley. Carter Keyboom could end up being a really good player. It's still early, we'll see, but he hasn't he hasn't given them what looking for quite yet. A uh, lot of really good players on this team. Kind of reminds me a little bit of the San Francisco Giants after they won their last World Series, where it's like, all right, there are a lot of good pieces here. We're going to keep adding more pieces rather than going the direction of we got this young core here with Soto and Trey Turner. Maybe we start reloading and gearing up for the future. They're still trying to extend that window. They have the potential to compete. There are pieces there. They can't compete. I just, I'm not seeing it. I think it could end up being like what the Giants were around 2017, 2018 when that run was over. Yeah, Jack, that's uh, just to kind of chime in there. Sorry. That's to me, that's a really excellent point because that's kind of what their roster looks like to me. It's a lot of you know, aging big names. And then a, a lot of guys behind them that, you know, I agree, I agree with Jordan. Like, you know, to me, when I face, when we're, when I, as a Braves guys, we'll touch upon it in a second, when I'm looking at a pitching matchup, it's like, you know, when you're facing Max Scherzer, you're like, Oh, we have a work cut out for us. But when you're facing Joe Ross, you're like, okay, we're facing Joe Ross. This, is, this should be okay. <laughs> so they have a bunch of, uh, they have a bunch of guys that used to kind of scare you. And then I have a bunch of guys that have never scared you. And that's, to me, as a, if I was a Nationals fan, that would skate because the worst place you can be in baseball, I think, is kind of in the middle. You either kind of want to be all in or all out, and the Nationals are kind of in a weird in-between where they won a World Series as an upstart team with a really good core, but they let some really big pieces walk, and they kind of clung on to some other ones, and then they none of their – they haven't had much come up from, from their internal uh, minor league organization recently, like – Who's the late, who's the last nationals prospect that really hit? I guess it would be Trey Turner. Um, beyond that. Soto. Really, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Soto. So well, sorry. Yeah. I don't even think of him as a prospect. I think of him as just like a 27 year old son, but yeah, we forget Juan Soto is only 22 <laughs> years old, but, uh, but yeah, they, beyond Juan Soto, they haven't really had a lot of uh, homegrown talent in a, in a while. So um, they're, they're kind of in that awkward middle ground, which usually doesn't vote very well. Well, and I think I understand kind of why they're still, quote unquote, going for it to an extent, because, look, you have Soto, who hasn't signed that mega, mega deal yet, and you have Scherzer yeah. and Corbin, who were under contract, and you kind of added Strasburg to that mix with the deal. It makes sense with those four guys to try and fill some holes. So maybe, you know, you try and hope Schwarber puts together a 40 home run season or Josh Bell. You hope Josh Bell puts together a 35 bomb season. Maybe both those guys have great power years. And all of a sudden, Victor Robles turns out to put together a really, really good year in what, year three or four. Um, and K we touched on cable. I mean, he only played four, four career games in the majors. So really it's yeah. hard to know what you're getting there. Maybe the full off season here. And now you get a full season of them helps him out too. Yeah. 140 career bats. Um, so I, I completely understand why you're going for it. And I think it makes sense when you have a, a young superstar like Soto, who, you know, you're going to have the monster deal coming for And you have these arms that, you know, have been elite arms in the league for a long time now. 
Um, but it's just a matter of kind of, you know, will who you fill those holes with end up working? And in this case, I just don't see it working well enough. So the Washington Nationals are at 84 and a half. I have a feeling we're all going to go with the under on that. Yes, all of the chips on the under for me on that one. (laughs) How many wins, Albert? I see the Nationals as a 78-win club. All right. What do you think, Jordan? I think 84 is a good number in terms of their upside. Uh, I would probably have them more right around 500, Jack. Yeah, I was, I'm was. i going to say 81 and 81. I think this is an average club. I think they end up averaging out with the good and the bad. I don't think they're going to be a bad team. 81 and 81. We're going to touch on the Braves because Albert needs to go off uh, soon if we're not able to get through this whole thing. So let me play our Braves voicemail. I got this from William Regert. Let me pull this up real quick. And William is pretty high on the Atlanta Braves, as most Braves fans should be, as I am as a as a spectator. I love the Braves. So here's what William had to say. 2021 Atlanta Braves preview. The Atlanta Braves have a lot to be excited about this year. They are definitely in one of the top four teams in the major leagues. And I think they will definitely repeat as National League East champions for the fourth year. Well, a lot of people are talking about the New York Mets. The one thing the Atlanta Braves really have going for them that no one's really talking about, and that's the cohesiveness on this team. Yes, they have made a lot of exciting acquisitions, such as the re-signing of Marcel Ozuna and the acquisitions of Smiley and Morton through free agency. This is going to definitely help the starting pitching staff bridge the gap with their youth, with these seasoned veterans, to really give them a great look at the starting mound. With Mike Soroka coming back soon, Max Freed, Ian Anderson, we have a lot of excitement going on in the starting pitch. The bullpen still looks good. We, I know that a couple of players were lost due to free agency, but players such as Matzik, A.J. Minter, Webb, all stepping up. I think this will be an exciting bowl to look at for 2021. The hitters are all the same as last year. Very exciting offense. Having Marcelo Zuna back with this contract that he just acquired is just going to make the team look even better. I really like how our youth continues to develop. You can't say enough good things about Ronald Acuna, Ozzy Albies, and of course, MV Free, Freddie Freeman. All of these gentlemen are going to continue to excel and work wonderfully as a team to make the Atlanta Braves look as World Series contenders, which they should be. An exciting year indeed. All right. Great job by William. Thank you for sending that in, William. And uh, once again, good job. Albert, agree, disagree? Any, anything? Uh, and by the way, Albert is a huge Braves fan. I, I don't know if we made that clear. I'm going to pass it over to you, Albert. Yeah, it's a shame we're not on video because you can't see the smile on my face currently. And uh, it's, <laughs> it, it, it's encouraging when I hear William give such a you know glowing review of our team. Now, I, I don't want other Braves fans to get a little chapped at me, but I will say I think I'm more cautiously optimistic than others. I, um, as much as I, before you, I, before I, you get into that, Albert, just to be clear, last year we did our, uh, NLCS preview and you said Braves in six. I said, Bra- or sorry, you said Dodgers in six. I said Dodgers in seven. And so, uh, 
when the Do- yeah. when the Braves took that that uh, three to one lead, you were very pleasantly surprised. So Albert, not to say that uh, you were dead wrong on that. It was only one game, but uh, Albert had been impressed with the Braves in the past. He he's he was a little uh, you know he's a, he's a fan. He's he tries to curb his enthusiasm a little bit. I do. Yeah, I, I look at this team and I'm like, man. Honestly, I think we're very, very close. I think it's, a, it's an organization that's made some very, very intelligent acquisitions, has done an unbelievable job at player development, um, you know, kind of different, differing from what we just discussed with the Nationals Club. It's almost exclusively a homegrown, built league roster. Um, I will say I differ from the bulk of Braves country. Um, I actually didn't love the details behind Marcel Ozuna's extension. Um, before everyone brings out the pitchforks, I just think that a four-year extension for him was a little much. I'd like the AAV. It was around $16.5 million, if I'm not mistaken, or $17 million. But I think that his, you know, his presence is going to be a guy who I think slots better as a DH, hopefully in 2022. And I think that blocks a little bit of our up-and-coming um, – guys i think there's guys like bryce ball who i'm really excited about and other guys who i think would slot better um i think our offense this year isn't going to be what it was last year i was very surprised with what the braves did offensively last year um i think the second half of the lineup is a little bit more suspect than some other clubs in the in the division but i think that the first five are capable of being as good as any other first five now here's the issue Travis Darno had an unbelievable year offensively last year, and I and I am a very big fan of his. But he's a guy who's had some injury pasts. He's a guy who's entering his early 30s, and he's a catcher catching a 162-game season without the luxury of a DH. Behind him, we don't really have a lot of depth other than Alex Jackson and William Contreras, who are both real, really young players. So who's going to be hitting in that five-hole when you know Travis Darno's not playing every day? I think the lineup... I think we're a bat away. I think if the Braves made a play to acquire potentially Nolan Arenado, who obviously moved on to the Cardinals, or maybe Jose Ramirez, who's Chris still Bryant. Chris Bryant, who I think is the absolute move, I think now is the time for the Braves to strike on one of those big bats and solidify what I think is a big question mark. I think Austin Riley is still a guy who's developing. And listen, I would have loved to have Austin Riley on the 2015 or 2016 Braves and give him a chance to take 116 plate appearances and potentially strike out 160 times and hit 215. This is the 2021 Braves. We're trying to compete. We were one game away from the World Series trying to compete with a juggernaut Dodger team, a juggernaut Padre team, a a resurgent Mets team. So I think having a player like Austin Riley and depending on him every day is just a little bit too much of a risk. And I know that, you know, the, the resources that the Braves have are different than those teams. Um, you know, unfortunately, the Braves are the only publicly traded organization in Major League Baseball. So we actually know that the Braves did lose money in 2020 because the books were opened. So hopefully, if things go well this year, the stadiums reopen to some fans, some revenue starts to flow back in through the battery in Atlanta maybe the Braves will have the pull the trigger and add what I think is that last big bat missing. But just to round it up, I, I will say I think the starting pitching is going to be elite. Literally, to me, the best, possibly the best rotation in baseball. And that's even including that Dodgers rotation, which is scary. I think people don't realize how good Ian Anderson is going to be this year. 
and moving forward, yeah. barring injury. And I think Mike Soroka, even though he's coming back from a scary injury, is an absolute workhorse. The guy is a brilliant uh, student of baseball with a work ethic and makeup that's off the charts. I think him plus Max Freed, who even if he comes back down to earth a little bit, are going to be a one, two, three weapon. Charlie Morton as a four guy is just gravy. And, you know, Drew Smiley and some others are some really complimentary pieces. So I like what we have on the mound. I think our offense is maybe a bat or two away, but it's going to be an exciting sweat. And I think them and the Phillies and Mets are going to be in a three-way dogfight to win that division. Going back to Austin Riley, I actually don't think, I mean, I guess I, I don't watch as much Braves as you do. I watch a good amount, but I am okay with them kicking the tires on Austin Riley in the first half to see, hey, well, let's let's see what happens here because he's probably going to be, I mean, they did pick up Jake Lamb for a little bit of depth as well. So maybe you see those two guys platooning a little bit. Austin Riley's going to get his share of opportunities, and I would say that this is really make or break for him in the first half because if he doesn't emerge and if he doesn't end up looking the way he did when he got brought up in 2019 and he had those the first 10 to 14 games where he was just on a tear. If he doesn't do that, if he doesn't look like that, then I think it has to be clear at that point that you have to make that Chris Bryant trade because Chris Bryant is probably going to be available. I, I really think that the Cubs are going to trade him this season and the Braves have the types of chips to make that trade happen. I think in terms of regular season, they should be okay without that extra bat, um, at least in the first half. I, I think they can win. They have a lot of depth in their pitching, in their bullpen, and with their position players. Their outfield behind Ozuna, they could take, they could take Ozuna out late in the game and you put in Christian Pache with Ender Enciarte and Ronald Acuna Jr., you have probably potentially the best defensive outfield in baseball. I think they'll be okay without that bat in the first half. I think they will go out and get that bat in the first half. I'm okay with them seeing, hey, we'll give Austin Riley another another go here, and if, if it doesn't come together, there'll be opportunities for them to make that trade this season. I think that's going to be the deciding factor, honestly, and uh, I'll just round it out. I think it's what do they do when push comes to shove and it's uh, we're, we're nearing the trade deadline and they, you know, the Braves are looking at those teams, that division, the Phillies are pushing, the Mets are pushing, and it's, it's a matter of are they going to pull the trigger and go get a Chris Bryant and trade some prospects. Alex Anthopoulos has been very, very hesitant to trade any of the high-end prospects. He's traded some you know, the Braves have had an embarrassment of riches in their minor leagues where their 15th best prospect has probably been as good as other teams' third or fourth best. So he's been able to make some really wise decisions. But yeah. when push comes to shove, as much as, you know, Riley has potential, the guys, you know, at this point he has 500 career plate appearances in the big leagues and he struck out a third of his at-bats with a 288 on base. It's, you know, to me, if you're a team that's the Braves contending for a championship, you can't have you can't have – multiple up because all of a sudden now it's just there's just too much pressure on your key guys to do everything so if, if the Braves are going to be willing to trade a guy you know or trade a couple of guys to, to get that extra bat and potentially an extra reliever I think they need one more guy at the back end of the bullpen they have a lot of depth but they don't have that one guy to close games out if they do those two things I think that I think the division could be there for the taking if not they're going to be fighting for a wild card 
And I we haven't even mentioned Drew Waters. I forgot he's even there. They have so many prospects. So I have to think at some point they cash in on some of those chips. And Chris Bryant, it, this is his walk year. So he's not going to be overly expensive if he's going to be leaving the Cubs and the Cubs aren't going to get anything for him anyway. So I, I think they will... I think they will get that bat. I'm basically making my predictions as if Chris Bryant is already on the team. (laughs) (laughs) It's a standoff right now. It's a standoff between the Cubs and Braves as to who's going to blink first in a Chris Bryant move. I mean, it's, it's the, it's the, it's the one move in baseball. I think that makes the most sense is Chris Bryant to the Braves. And it's, you know, it's, it's right now it's a standoff and I'm I'm curious to see who's going to make it because at the end of the day, and I'll just, I'll let, you know, I'll let Jordan chime in also, but, I think it's you have to be careful with certain prospects when you have so many of them. Not all of them are going to hit. So you have to capitalize on value before guys get exposed. You know, we've had, you know, I think there have been guys in the Braves organization who have come up and people heralded them. And I was just big on, I remember when JT Romuto was being traded, I was like, man, we got to move Tuki Toussaint. We got to move this guy. And, and then all, all of a sudden, guys lose value when they get to the big leagues and don't perform. Um, and I think it's it's imperative of Anthopolis to try to be forward thinking and maybe move a guy. Drew Waters is a fantastic example um, before potentially his value gets diminished. That's a good point. Although Jordan would probably like to have kept Sixto Sanchez with the Phillies. <laughs> um, looking at what I saw in, in his couple starts last year, Jack, I think you're correct. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I think you guys said a lot of good things. To me, they actually have the MVP, or at least my NL MVP favorite, and it's not Freddie Freeman. I think this is the year Ronald Acuna really puts it all together. He was a little bit down average-wise last year, but I think the full season, he'll be able to put together very similar numbers to that 2019 campaign where he was almost a 40-40 guy. Um, And to me, he's going to kind of lead that charge. And for, in my opinion, the second-best team in the NL, I have them winning the NL East as well. Uh, so I think Acuna will have a really, really strong um, candidacy for MVP. Uh, you guys touched a lot on Austin Riley. I'm kind of with you as well. Kind of see what you have and then make the deal if you have to at the deadline. I think the Chris Bryant thing makes a ton of sense. Um, it'll be interesting to see if that's somebody they try and retain too. I would probably say no. after the. It might be like a go-for-it type move. Um, given the Ozuna deal, I guess you do have Acuna and Albies on deals, but the Braves could be like when they did they trade for Mark Teixeira at one point, Albert. They did. We traded Elvis Andrews, Matt Harrison, uh, yeah, another big uh, relief arm. That that ended up being one of the uh, most line trades in Braves franchise <laughs> history. Uh, uh, who's the other? Another big right-handed reliever that was pretty productive them for a little bit. So yeah, Elvis Andrews obviously hurt the most. Um, but yeah, that, but I, you know, it's, it's funny just to, you know, not to get, I'll let you get back Jordan, but the Braves have been very big on the one year deal, right? Where they took out on Josh Donaldson going to 2019. Um, he turned out to have a fantastic year. Same thing with Marcel Zuna. Didn't have, he didn't have a great 19 came out in 20 and just was a gangbuster. So the Braves have been very big on buying guys for a short period of time, but they've been buying them with money. They haven't been buying those guys via trade. They haven't really traded for an expiring contract. And I think now is like the timing is perfectly right. And sometimes in baseball, timing is everything. So I'm, I'm curious to see if they're going to strike on Bryant uh, sometime this season. 
Well, I just want to know how many times can they strike gold? Because you get a Day Arnaud last year who puts together a career year. You get <laughs> Ozuna who puts together a career year. You get Donaldson who out of nowhere puts together a fantastic year. It seems like every one-year deal they pull their hat ends up working phenomenally. Cole Hamels didn't. Well, that is true. That is true. You can't hit on all of them, Jack. Yeah. <laughs> Former Philly. He, he was he was good to the Phillies by not pitching for the Braves. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. He, he's loyal. Very loyal. <laughs> uh, my question actually with the Braves, and it's a little different. Uh, Albert was big on the rotation. I have some question marks with the rotation. You haven't really seen Ian Anderson do it at the major league level. Um, and it's not always easy for guys to come up out of the minors and dominate. Um, Charlie Jordan Knight. Wait. Yep. What are you talking about? He was incredible in the postseason last year. Well, you, you, yeah, but let's let's see a full season maybe before before okay. we jump. That that's yeah. that's that's a more fair to, thing okay, to say okay. than like he's we haven't seen it at the major league level. <laughs> Come on, Jordan. Well, I want to see longer than a span of three starts. Yeah, um, and once some people get some tape on you, it's a little harder. True. Um, so that I have question marks about, you know, how good I, I think he has fantastic stuff. I just have question marks about how good he can be kind of in his full, first full season. I mean, Sraka is coming off an Achilles. That's not an in, easy injury to come back from. Obviously, a very, very good pitcher when healthy. But I don't think he's going to be ready to start the season. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, I know he's throwing now, but I, it looks like he might take all of April off. I'm not 100 percent sure. Yeah, so his throwing progression is to the point where he's ready to go. The biggest issue they have with him is because it's an Achilles deal and because, the unfortunately, pitchers are hitting again this year, is the ability to run and move around. So um, Brian Snicker's confident that, you know, he came out and quoted, I think, two weeks ago, saying if it was just a matter of pitching, he's ready now. But since he has to field bunts, since he has to potentially run the bases, uh, they're going to they're gonna err on the side of caution. I mean, he's to me, is a huge piece. He's in, as good of a piece for the future of that team as anybody not named Ronald Cunha Jr., basically. So, you know, being smart with him and not pushing him too quickly is probably something you're going to do, especially since they have depth. They have a lot of other guys they can turn to early in the season and see what they have. Yeah, and I agree fully with that. I think the, the health of Soraka is extremely important, and I don't think you need to rush him back. Um, I think you have three good enough arms to kind of keep you along and then hope that he's able to get to 100%, you know, mid-summer, and you can start to blast him off to get in a rhythm as the year goes on. Um, and apart from that, you know, I've seen Drew Smiley front and center, uh, what, a year and a half ago now. <laughs> I, I I don't have much to say there. He was just on not, the Cubs for a little bit, too. He's been everywhere. <laughs> it was like, uh, but just not a great five. And then, uh, you know, Charlie Morton obviously has had some really, really nice success for the past couple of years, but it was with Tampa Bay and Houston. So you, you have that question mark. Um, it seems like when guys leave those places, the game just isn't as easy. So you never know. Um, but Freed, I think, is 100% legit. So I think a lot of it comes down to the health of Soraka and how much he's able to contribute. And, you know, is, is Ian Anderson the real deal? Can he put together for a full season? So the starting pitching to me is a, is a little bit of a question. I think really their lineup from top to bottom is very, very good. Um, I don't expect Azuna, Azuna to do what he did a year ago, but I do. I mean, he's always hitting the majors. He's just a good hitter. Defensively, he's not good, but he can hit. Uh, and they're handing the keys to pa- was it Pache? Pache? Uh, they're handing Pache. the key- yeah, they're Pache, handing yeah. the they're handing the keys to him in center. And from what it looks like, I mean, they're saying some really good things about him this spring. So, look, the Bra- the Braves to me are the best team in the NL East again. Um, and I, I think Acuna, man, I, I, I think him and Freeman as a two-headed 
just tear um, are as good as pretty much any duo in the league. Jordan, I like how you combined uh, Marcel and Ronald's names together and you said Azunia. That, that was, <laughs> sounds like a fantasy baseball team name <laughs> right there. It's well. I feel like that could be a hashtag. You give those guys back in hitting Azunia. back. In, Azunia, yeah. Hitting back to back in the order. I think Azunia, hashtag Azunia time. Okay. I love the rotation. I'm with Albert. I think, hey, you want to get Soroka back to where he was. There's no reason to rush him. They'll be okay waiting a little bit. I love Ian Anderson. He was incredible in the postseason. I wrote a piece on this last year how he and Freed were so key in winning that Red Series because they were going up against Bauer, and it was either, I think it was Castillo. Was it Castillo or Sonny Gray, Albert? Yeah, they, they, faced, they faced Castillo and Sonny. Actually, uh, oh, okay. no, sorry, they, they faced Bauer in Game 1 and Castillo in Game 2. Sorry about that. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah, Castillo. Yeah. And they matched what those guys, those guys are legitimate ace I mean Castillo's going to be the ace of the Reds this year and Anderson essentially equalized those guys went seven innings deep struck out a lot didn't allow any runs they were lights out Freed and so that was Freed and Anderson they bring in Charlie Morton to fill in that Hamels role that they weren't able to really get anything out of last year they needed that veteran pitcher uh to start a game in the postseason they didn't have that and that's where they had to turn to A.J. Minter, as Albert uh, mentioned. Kyle Wright, he had a really good postseason performance, and so did Bryce Wilson. There's so much talent and with this rotation. I think the rotation is right up there, right behind the Dodgers, as probably the second best in the National League. Yeah, I agree. I agree I agree wholeheartedly. And I think that they uh, that's, that's really going to be their calling card. I think it's going to be a matter of, you know, you can't expect, like, like Jordan made a good point, like every guy they sign – ends up having a career year and a one-year deal. I don't believe Marcelo Zuna is going to hit 330 this year and lead the league in home runs and RBIs again. But I think he's going to be a productive hitter. But I think you need other guys to balance that. You know, Travis Darno, man, what he did in a small sample was was unreal. Even through the postseason, he caught every game in the Dodgers series with no days off and just batted fourth and was, you know, kind of an anchor in that line. So you, you, you you need a little bit more length in that team but I think that there's, I think there's a chance for some of these young players. I agree that Raul Acuna, I think, is, you know, he was, he was, he, he basically was grinding through that postseason with a bad wrist. He got that taken care of, and he's, he's back this year. He's leaner. He's motivated. Um, he's a guy who I think really wants to win, which is great. After a guy wins, a, signs a big deal like he did, he's still motivated. I think Ozzy Alsby's missed a lot of time last year, and he's. A kid, a guy who's still young. He's been in the league for a little bit, but he's a lot younger than people realize. And from you know, against left-handed pitching, he's an elite hitter. If he can start to, you know, kind of uh, get better from that uh, right side against, I'm sorry, from the left side against Reese, um, and he could be a real key cog for us. And I think Christian Pache is going to be a very, very good major league player. I think he's, you know, a lot of people say he's the best defensive outfielder, was the best defender in the entire minor leagues uh over on baseball a guy who's already considered you know an elite defender in the outfield and i think is going to give you some things offensively uh i'm excited about the club i think we still need to make a, you know maybe make an addition here or there but i think we're very very close and as a Braves fan so we can really ask for yep and i i agree with that too i think it, it's going to come down to maybe that one splash move at the deadline whether it's you try and add a bryant or whether it's you try and add a big arm um, depending on kind of how Soroka comes back and looks health-wise. 
Um, I, th- I think if they do either of those two things, they're going to be right there when it matters. I have the Atlanta Braves winning the National League this year. I think they're going to make at least one big move at the deadline. Potentially, if they need to make a couple at a, a bullpen guy. I, I think that the Braves, especially it's an arms race right now. If you take a look out west and what the Padres did and what the Dodgers did and how good the Dodgers are going to be. The Braves had them beat last year. They meet them again. I think the Braves potentially even better with a healthy Soroka, even better with another bat in that order, uh, potentially in terms of Bryant. I think that I, I'm going to go with the Braves as my National League champion. So not just the National League East champions, the National League champs. Wow, that's a, that's a big prediction right there, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> that is a big prediction, Jack. I'm not going to go that far, but I do have them as my NLC. <laughs> 91 and a half is the total that DraftKings has them at. Over or under, Albert? Yeah, a lot of a lot of my uh, fellow Braves fans might not like this, but as <laughs> is, I have to, I have to be cold and impartial. I'm going to take the under on 91 and a half. I think wow. we're in, I think we're an 89, and I think that line is obviously very very good. I think we're an 89 90 win team as is, but I think there's a couple moves that'll make them like a 95 win team. Um, it's a matter of whether or not the trigger is going to get pulled. Wow, interesting. So are they winning the division in your book? I actually have them currently as is finishing second, uh, slightly ahead of the season, kind of kind of toggling for that second spot. Ooh, very interesting. All right, how many wins, Jordan? Uh, I have that at 92. I think the winner of this division is going to have to win 91, 92 games. I think the division's too good. One of these teams is going to get to that number, and I think it's going to be the Braves. I think the Braves win 96 this year. They won, they won 97 a couple years ago, guys. Uh, I know the division is really good this year. It's always really good. I think they're winning the National League East for the fourth straight year, and they're doing so with 96 wins. There it is. You can't see me right now, Jack, but I'm crying tears of joy. Let's talk Mets, the final team in this division. Thankfully, Albert will be able to join us for this. Now, I have an email that I got from Craig Bertani. Craig Bertani, I asked for a voicemail. He sent me an email. And then I was like, hey, can you can you send me a voicemail? And he didn't. So I was like, all right, that's a boss move. Craig makes the rules. He's like, he's, that. <laughs> it's just like, here you go. Here's your email. <laughs> I liked it. It's a power move. Okay, so I'll read you what he wrote me. I see the Mets winning the wild card easily. I feel it's the Braves in the East until the Mets prove they can beat them. Always seems that way. Hopefully, this is the year that we knock them on their heels. The Mets have improved defensively up the middle, no doubt. It will be nice to see McCann and his gun at the plate. I think Syndergaard comes back an absolute beast. Lineup is solid. Nimmo, Nimmo and Lindor starts the, gets the ball rolling every day for us at the top. Alonzo with a huge bounce back year with 41 homers. Conforto, solid as usual. Don't sleep on Dom Smith. The tank, solid. DeGrom brings it all season and gets another Cy Young. Bullpen fixed and deep. Need Lugo for the eighth healthy. A lot depends on Diaz being the Diaz we need in the ninth. 
I see the Mets winning 92 games, providing we stay healthy. I see us making moves to push us deep into a strong postseason run before the trade deadline. I am amped for the season. We've got the teamwork to make the dream work. Let's go, Mets. <laughs> Even a little rhyme to finish it off. <laughs> that guy's great, man. I love that guy. <laughs> I know. He's great. I I want to. I need to find him on Twitter. I bet his Twitter's great. We need to link him up with the war dog. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What do you make of this Mets team, Albert? You're picking them to win the division. Why do you like them so much? Man, the, the Mets, honestly, are scary to me. They're a team that kind of has been bubbling uh, with new ownership. I think Steve Cohen being so all-in invested into this franchise succeeding is scary because, you know, I can see them being, you know, as aggressive as the Padres were this offseason, only in-season. I can see him being like, oh, this guy's not working? All right, go get best available. Oh, that guy's working? Go get best available. I think they're going to be a team that, you know, runs out what I think is already a good roster and is just going to aggressively shop and add and those that's a that's a dangerous combination when you have a strong core and have the resources and uh aggression to go get it um jacob de currently is the best pitcher on planet earth um i was watching so 101 miles an hour the other day the guy is just he's he, he should be in a different league he's so good um i think that i think guys like Stroman, uh, who kind of took a, a, a qualifying offer to come back, has a lot to prove. He sat out last year. His arm should be fresh. I think that there's um, just, you know, that the whole energy of that ball club after more signing, um, you know, the way that they're, they're, they're going to re- reposition all their guys. And, you know, they had guys playing kind of out of position. They still kind of will for this year. You know, Dominic Smith's going to have to man left field for them. But that guy really showed last year that he can swing the bat at the major league level and be an impact guy. Um, I think McNeil is one of the most underrated hitters in baseball. Yeah. And I think he's actually going to hit for a little bit more power this year. Um, I saw him kind of make some adjustments early in spring that scared me because if that guy adds power, so now he's like Juan Soto Jr., uh, which is scary. Um, I think Alonzo came out slow last year but finished strong. Um, this, 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 team is, this team is legit, man. Uh, Brandon Nimmo's an on-base machine. They, had, they, they, added your, uh, they added former Cub Albert Amora to platoon with him. So they have another defensive guy who can come play defense for Dom Smith late in games who matches up well against left-handed pitchers. I mean, this, this team is just really, you know, James McCann, they got him for a really good price, a guy who's been unbelievably effective uh, uh, offensively and defensively for the Cubs. I'm sorry, for the White Sox uh, last couple of years. Um, this team is going to be really good. A lot of it's going to depend on the health of guys like Lugo and the, the effectiveness of Edwin Diaz in the back end, but I think Edwin Diaz is legit. I think he's getting the New York out of his head. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that, I think they're going to be a scary club to contend with. I, I full heartedly agree. Um, I love a lot of what they did this off season. Obviously when you can land a big chip, like they did with Lindor, that changes the, the way a franchise can be looked at. But really, what I specifically like about this team, and you touched about a lot of the, you know, the everyday guys, I actually really like their rotation. And this is even without Syndergaard to kind of open up the year. David Peterson, their five, actually put together a really nice year a year ago, and they added the arms of Carrasco, and who I really wanted the Phillies to try and go after is maybe a four or five. Uh, Taewon Walker, who yeah. uh, a year ago 
for Toronto was very, very effective and really throughout his entire career has been really effective. He's a 384 career guy, had a really nice year last year. Um, he was a guy, God, I wish, really wish the Phillies would have made a run at him. Um, big signing there for the Mets. And that lines up the rotation. And then you toss Stroman in there. You don't even have Syndergaard in there. And I mean, those are five pretty good starters, uh, four pretty good starters, and then DeGrom at the top. Um, so it's a really, really nice rotation. Their bullpen to me does have some questions. I did like the signing of Trevor May this offseason, yeah. though. He's a guy who's had success, throws really, really hard. Um, and then in terms of their lineup, you, you're just going to need, you know, some big time years from some guys. McNeil has proven he can hit for average. I think under one of the more underrated hitters in the game is a great way to classify him. I agree with that 100%, Albert. But I think if this team's going to contend, you're going to need great years from Comforto. You're going to need a great power year from Alonzo. Um, as a whole, I think the Ross is good. I just wonder if it all comes together this year. Um, I think they're probably a year out. Um, and I think if this team were to have had landed Bauer, like they were really rumored to, they would have been extremely dangerous. Um, but as a whole, will the Mets met when it comes down to it? <laughs> and I think to an extent they will. Uh, I just wonder if guys can stay healthy. Uh, so I Jordan, think that's the question. We ask that question every single year. It's so funny. <laughs> Because it's always relevant. You always look at the staff. You're like, oh, the staff is phenomenal. They have some good pieces offensively. I just, I think, I think they're a good club. I just don't know if they get to be a great club. This in, um, so I, yeah, I have them finishing third in the division. Yeah, this is weird that Jordan and I are agreeing on so much with this uh, division because that's exactly how I assess them. I think. I don't love the rotation maybe as much as you guys do. I think uh, Strowman hasn't Strowman's been disappointing in New York. I I don't know. Maybe he's not a New York guy. Some there are certain guys that the bright lights and I know it's the other side of town. It's not the Yankees, but we've seen guys like Sonny Gray pitch a lot better when they're not pitching in New York, and you got the spotlight on it. You he hasn't been great with the Mets. I don't know what. Carrasco is going to give them awesome story. Great to see him pitching once again. He beat cancer. He's the man. Mm -hmm. uh, he's entering into his mid thirties now, and with all that stuff in the rear view, uh, I, I I don't think this is the same Carlos Carrasco that we're talking about five six years ago. But he still could be an effective pitcher. I do like Taiwan Walker. He's a guy I always really liked. Going back to when he was with the Mariners the first time around. He had to have Tommy John, came back from that, went back to the Mariners last year, was really good for them, and they were able to ship him over to Toronto. Peterson, uh, they they also have Joey Lucchese. Just don't think it's the same type of Mets rotation that we're accustomed to seeing in the past. Uh, with When Wheeler was there and Syndergaard is healthy, do you guys know if we'll see Syndergaard this year? Yeah, he's he's from what I what I understand is projected to – be back in the mix uh, sometime early this season. And that's, that's kind of, those are the things that make me think this team is scary. When you look mm -hmm. at Noah Syndergaard and you're like, Oh, maybe we'll get something from him when you're not, he's not a guy they're counting on. He's like a potential bonus. That's when this team is scary. It's like, Oh, they might just get healthy. Noah Syndergaard coming back. And by the way, who knows who they'll add? Like maybe Davis slumps and they're like, screw it. We'll go get Chris Bryant for three months. Like they'll do it. They're not the, <laughs> yeah. they're not the, uh, you know, they're not these other organizations and it's, it is funny. I, I love your point. Well, the Mets met. I think that it's <laughs> ironic because 
it, within this division, there's three teams that I think are going to be vying for that first place. You know, the teams we all picked, the Phillies, Braves, and Mets. Yep. And I think all three fan bases are like kind of like scared, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> abused spouses where we're always like, things look good now, but what's going to go eventually? Because we know something will. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's that nervous energy that all of our franchises have beat into us, unfortunately. Jack, you touched on the, the, the Mets rotation and how it's not, you know, full with these big names. You don't have the Wheeler. You, don't, you know, even Steven Matz was kind of viewed, you know, he was viewed yeah. around the league, even though he wasn't producing at that level. He was kind of viewed at that level. Would, can that potentially be a good thing now where you fill yeah. in some of these guys who maybe don't have the names but produce more consistently? Yeah, that's a fair point. I definitely think there's something to that. It's also New York, and it's also sure. the Mets, and there's a lot. I mean, there's there's a lot of talk about them right now. There's a lot sure. of hype. Yeah. DraftKings has them at 90 and a half. <sighs> 90 and a half wins. That's a lot of wins, and it seems like you have to take five wins off of what their uh, win total is on these things every single year. <laughs> but no, I'm not, I'm not, I, I gotta, you know, Stem and I were talking about these NCAA tournament teams the other night. And his question was like, for the longest time, it's like, I'm not going to pick Gonzaga until Gonzaga actually makes the final four. I'm not going to pick Baylor until they actually make the final four. That's how I feel about the Mets. I need to see it first. We've seen a lot of teams put together these really awesome rosters in the postseason, and it ha- and it doesn't always come together. I mean, you could look across the whole sports landscape. This could be similar to something like the, I'll compare it to 2019 Cleveland Browns, where they end up being around a, a 500 team. Now, maybe I would project the Mets to be a little better than that this season, but there was a lot of hype on that team, didn't quite measure up to it. But then the next year, they were able to take that step and become a team that was pretty close to actually playing in a conference game. Well, what I think is interesting, Jack, is that statement you just described about them, the Gonzaga, that's kind of how I felt about the Washington Nationals in like 16, 17, 18. I was yeah. like, the Nationals were my pick every year in seven, 16, 17, 18. I'm like, look at this rotation, look at this lineup, and they just always kind of fell apart in the playoffs. And then in 19, they just, they, you know, after Harper walks, they come through and do it. I think the Mets can do that this year. And, you know, obviously that 19... Nationals team got off to a horrific start and ended up having an elite second half. I could see the Mets, but even potentially doing that, where they don't get off to the greatest start, but since they have such a nice core, and I think they're going to be so willing to add, like I told you, I can see them being that team that just, you know, kind of finally takes off this year with what they have. So uh, it's 90, you know, I'll let you guys, I'll let you guys go, but 90 and a half is a really interesting number. Well, it's it could be similar to the 2006 Mets team where they went out and they got some guys. I think they brought in Beltron around that time, and there were another. Uh, they got Pedro, and they got a lot of guys, and they ended up going to the NLCS that year. So that that could be. I'd say that's the upside with this team. Yeah, I, I think For this. Sure. Yeah. yeah, I think this team has serious upside. I think 90 and a half. I had the Phils getting that second wild card slot, and I believe I had them at 89. I think that second wild card slot is going to be coming down to those two teams. Um, so I think I'll take the under at 90 and a half and go 87. I have them at 86. I'm not going to go that high. I will point back to uh, your boy, Albert, Brian Kenny. I was watching a little MLB Now a couple weeks ago, and he was comparing – Sort of like how it's 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 interesting, it's good when you have new kind of on the come up in sports for for the matter. And 
he was comparing this a little bit to around the mid 2000s when he had the Ro- or the mid 2010s I should say Royals Orioles Pirates three really dang good teams with rich history uh, but they had spent quite a bit of time wandering in the wilderness and that's the three teams this year that are kind of in that spot that can make a return to prominence White Sox Mets Padres. Yeah, yeah, that's that's actually a really good point because you know the Mets had some some ugly years, and obviously we all saw what the Padres did, and the White Sox have super exciting young cores. But I, I think the Mets' time is now, and I think that they're you know I'm actually going to be on the other side of you guys. I'm going to take the over on ninety and a half. I think that's a ninety-two win club that we're looking at, and I think it's going to be a a team that's you know uh, they're going to be near the top of the of the division for a little bit. Um, I, I think that everything's kind of lining up for them. Health is always a concern with the Mets for some reason, but if they stay healthy, man, I, I don't see them. Uh, I don't see them not getting into the mix, and that's a team that I don't think anybody wants to face in the playoffs. Like, good luck facing Jacob Degrom today in a in a short series when you know he's going to come back on short rest, and you know potentially facing Syndergaard, facing some of these other power arms in addition to that lineup. Um, they're, they're going to be a scary team. I think they could actually be the team that potentially thrones the juggernauts out west and the Dodgers and Padres. Wow. Interesting. Strong, strong take. I'm not that high, clearly. Um, but as I take a look at the win totals that I have ascribed to the teams in this division, Atlanta at 97, the Mets at 86, the Phillies at 89, I need to go lower on the Nationals and the Mar- Marlins. There's no way that the Nationals are going to win 81 games if there are that many wins spread across this division. So I think I'll – I think actually now as we talk about it, maybe maybe Washington's like 75-win team. Yeah, I think I had them at 78 or 79 for that yeah. reason for that reason alone. I think I had them at 500. I, I really do think the top four teams in this division are really good, though. Yeah. Um, so I'll keep it around there. I, I had the Marlins lower, though. I had the Marlins at 68. So that kind of yeah. evens it out a little bit. All right. Yeah. And the Central's going to be so bad. The Central's <laughs> going to be very, very bad. I think, and they're gonna, there's going to be a lot of wins there. No offense to your, uh, your NL Central. <laughs> no, it's, it's not really mine anymore, Albert. But <laughs> no, it's here in the Midwest. NL Central, I will say, um, we just, that was the last recording that we taped yesterday i actually do think the brewers are going to surprise some people this year well yelich can't be much worse than he was a year ago so that alone (laughs) (laughs) that alone will help them big time good stuff all right we covered pretty much everything and i know albert's got to run so albert thank you so much for joining us today this is a lot of fun and tell people they can check out your podcast yeah guys i had had a lot of fun i'm excited for the season um if you'd like to hear a little bit of a, more of me on some uh, some fun dating topics and some some comedic stories and fun things from my uh, experience down here in South Florida. Check out my podcast called "It's Not Polite to Ask." Uh, we're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, uh, just anywhere where you listen. Get you uh, take in your content. So come on, check us out. Appreciate for having me on, Jack. Thank you so much, man. It's always always a blast with you. Yeah, my pleasure, and I'm sure we'll be talking baseball some point this season fairly soon. Sounds good, buddy. We'll talk soon, guys. Take care. All right. Take care, Albert. Jordan, how are you doing? I'm hanging in there, Jack. <laughs> hanging in there. I'm glad I could make it. Glad I could make it to the East because I've missed that. Normally, I do, I think, at least a couple divisions with you. Yeah. Yeah, this, this, uh, 
as part of the this March April is always extremely busy work wise. Um, so I'm just trying to squeeze. I, I, I couldn't miss my Phillies. <laughs> I couldn't miss the talk of my Phillies and in the division. And I think this is the third or fourth straight year where I've picked them to make the postseason. Um, <laughs> so I had to stay consistent with it as well. Since you're only joining us for one, maybe another. We'll see. Maybe if you're able to hop on another one of these previews for the NL or for the for Major League Baseball. A lot of folks were disappointed we didn't do an NFL preview last year. And really, the the nature of it was, look, we had a million sports mm-hmm. going on at the same time. This summer, when we get into like August and we're really only looking at baseball, I'm expecting we have much more of a comprehensive uh, college football NFL preview stuff uh, for that matter. But I don't know if we're going to be able to do all eight divisions again. That was <laughs> such a, a beast. <laughs> it was a lot of podcasting, Jack. It really was. <laughs> but I will say it. I we might have to it. like dot up the responsibility. Yeah, exactly. Just mix it. <laughs> I mean, we have enough friends and you have enough podcast hosts to where you're able to you know, find somebody to fill in on, on at least some of them. <laughs> keep me, try and keep me fresh. <laughs> yeah. I was realizing that you hadn't been on in, it was like a couple weeks or so, or no, a couple months, I should say back yeah. to NFL playoffs. And it was really funny. We we're doing the live streams. We did two weeks in a row. And then the third week, it was like, uh, Jordan couldn't show up this week. So <laughs> here's Chase BB. You'll enjoy it. <laughs> hey, and BB always puts together good performances. So yeah, I'm sure good. he filled in nicely. <laughs> <laughs> good stuff. Um, all right. Before I let you go, do you want to yeah, actually know what? We'll save that. I'll I'll let you share your postseason picks later. We'll do another. Okay. We'll do something else that as works. the season approaches. Thank you for not putting me on the spot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You need to think about it. I put you on the spot enough. It happens too much. <laughs> and I, I always let you know of that as well. <laughs> All right. Anything else with this division that we didn't get to? Anything you want to bring up? Look, as a whole, I just think it's going to be. I think it's going to be a battle. Um, I, I I know you guys kind of faded away on the Nats there towards the end, but you know there's a way that things could go right there with the top three starting pitchers, and you have. Yeah. I full heartedly agree with. Albert there on on his Juan Soto comments. I think he's truly the Mike Trout of the NL, um, and he is that good. And you just hope that. Well, I don't, but you hope that the <laughs> Nationals are able to, after he got his ring, surround Soto with a little more talent than the Angels to kind of these <laughs> juice of his career. Um, so yeah, on that front, I mean, I think it's a very good division. Um, I think there's a ton of talent and top tier guys kind of throughout this division. So, look, I'm really looking forward to watching these games all year, and um, I think it's going to be a battle. All right. Good stuff, Jordan. Uh, You're still banned from Twitter right now. You got nothing to promote? (laughs) I'm banned from Twitter. Yeah, nothing to promote on my end. (laughs) But but as as always, Jack, thank you you a ton for having me. And, uh, yeah, looking forward to when I can get back on here. All right. My pleasure. Yeah, we'll definitely be doing some this summer as the workload uh, starts to subside to a certain degree for you. Perfect. Sounds like a plan. All right, y'all. That does it for my conversation with Jordan Morandini and Albert Destrade. So much fun previewing the National League East. I think it's going to be the most exciting, most competitive division this season. It's going to be make for a very fun and exciting summer. Coming up on the podcast next week, we will be finishing up our 
preview series, I will be speaking with Jake Poliga, and we will preview our final division, the American League Central. On top of that, we will also include our World Series picks, potentially maybe even some awards picks. Maybe I'll do a little, (laughs) I'll think about a little bit and see who my MVP, who my Cy Young, Rookie of the Year, Manager of the Year, all those awards, who that'll go to next season. Be on the lookout for that episode. Make sure you're subscribed to this podcast so you get you get delivered to you immediately. You can also get email notifications at my website, jackvita.com, where I do more than podcasts. I also write. I run some brackets that people can vote on. Right now, we have a mascot bracket going on on my Instagram, which is at jackvitashow. Coolest mascot in the NCAA tournament. <laughs> and... Once again, by the time you're listening to this episode, I'll be gearing up for the Sweet 16. We've already done uh, our live streams on the Selection Sunday in the first two rounds of the NCAA tournament. We're going to be, I'll be live on Monday. That is March 29th. And Valparaiso men's basketball associate head coach Luke Gore, he will join me on the live stream So come ready. It's at noon central time on Monday, March 29th. Come ready with some questions for me and Luke, and we will talk everything from the Sweet 16, preview the Elite Eight, and we will probably ask Luke a little bit about coaching and what's going on with the Valpo program. And uh, Luke's also a huge White Sox fan, so maybe he can provide a little bit of White Sox insight uh, as we gear up for that AL Central final preview. Uh, We're only about a week away from opening day. Life's really good. I'll be going live again on Wednesday, and that is March 31st. And we will be recapping the Elite Eight, previewing the Final Four. Uh, More information, TBD, so make sure you're following along. Again, on my social media, at Jack Vita Show on Twitter and Instagram, Facebook.com slash Jack Vita Show and youtube.com slash Jack Vito. I will provide all the updates on there. And uh, not sure, again, who the guest will be, what time we'll be going live at, but I'm sure it'll make for a great show. And I hope you all will join us live. And if not, you'll join us in this podcast feed. So subscribe to the show so you don't miss out on any of this awesome content that we have coming up. And until then, guys, take good care of yourselves and get outside. Enjoy the springtime. It's getting nice outside. Object Vita. Bring in the dancing lobsters.